electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sentiment, sentiment can be hard to fathom, but it's essential if you want to predict the market's next move. For example, today's stocks word on information that might have sunk us at another time, maybe even yesterday. Dow this time surging 618 points, S&P pole boarding 1.42%, NASDAQ rising 0.83%. Now, I talk about sentiment. I mean, what's the market's mindset? Sometimes it's about negativity and exhaustion. The house of pain. Other times it's about exhilaration and wild-eyed optimism. The house of pleasure. Today, it was about investors deciding their stocks to come down so far from their highs. It simply doesn't matter how bad the Omicron screen turns out to be. We didn't want to hear about it. Oh, they were willing to shrug off the news of a second Omicron case in America, even as stocks were viscerated yesterday when we learned of the first one. Just as important, given that we'll likely be hearing many, many, many more infections, especially because the second victim had gone to a packed anime convention in New York City, investors now seem to accept the Omicron variant as just a new fact of life. Of course, if this train turns out to be worse than Delta, and we start seeing a huge wave of hospitalizations or perhaps deaths, then we'll look back on today's bullishness as a temporary condition of insanity. Still, the first sentiments factor is pretty straightforward. We just had too much negativity. There just was. Stocks were overly hated, which made it easy for them to rally once we got a few bits of good news. A great quarter from Snowflake, a solid one from Okta, good news from CrowdStrike, which will be on later in the show. Secondly, relatedly, there's the oversold factor. Sometimes stocks go down so hard so fast that they'll overshoot and deserve to bounce. There's actually a way to measure this. I've followed the Standard & Poor's proprietary oscillator for years. It measures how oversold or overbought the market's gotten on a daily basis. The oscillator has a baseline of zero. When neither the bulls nor the bears are in control, that's zero. As it goes up, that means the market's becoming more bullish, or if you want to be pejorative, more euphoric. When the oscillator goes at plus five, well, 
then you're getting into extreme overbought territory. And what you got to do is you got to lighten up a little. And that usually means you're in a, uh, let's say, traders do that. We, we even do it for the investing club product, the charitable trust. If it gets to plus 10, then you have to sell aggressively. Sell, 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 sell. Because the correction is almost inevitable, but it very rarely gets there. Very rarely. On the flip side, when the oscillator gets to minus 5, that tells you the market's oversold, and it's too late for you to sell. If you're patient, you'll probably get a better opportunity, higher price. That's where we were until yesterday. Then we got to minus 7, and minus 7, you have to hold your nose and buy something because it means the market's become a coiled spring. And that's a big reason why I got more constructive last night. Now, even though the oscillator will no doubt start rising after daily today, it will still be a negative territory because it's a measure of an accumulation of days. In other words, there's no danger that the market's going to come in overbought tomorrow, even after today. We're still badly oversold. We're still okay. Of course, that's not the only way to measure the level of fear in the market. We've also got this volatility index, VIX for short. In just a matter of days, the VIX soared from 17 to 31, where it was last night. Now, that is a rapid change in sentiment. They call this thing the fear gauge, and when there's too much fear, you need to do some opportunistic buying. And that's what happened this morning as the VIX started to plummet. A high VIX like we had yesterday, coupled with a deeply negative oscillator reading, can make up for a ton of bad news. And look, when the whole market's successively negative, you can see some truly wild swings in individual stocks. Yesterday, as I mentioned, we got good numbers from a host of cybersecurity firms. Normally, you would have expected a lot of enthusiasm from the analyst community. Nope, they were just too scared. They were under this desk. We just got tepid buy reiterations and price target cuts, not boosts, but cuts. And that's that uber unrelenting pessimism I'm talking about. And by the way, it's not worth listening to when people get that negative. Sure enough, when sentiment turned uh, today, both stocks roared. Uh, the uh, stocks roared. Now, I'll tell you, when you look at Okta and you look at CrowdStrike, we're talking about those, um, what will happen is tomorrow there will be people who raise price targets. Why? Because people want to get involved again. They wanted to shy away. Now they want to be in. We saw the same thing the other day with Salesforce.com. They wanted to shy away. I think they'll be in tomorrow. CEO Mark Benioff delivered a true blowout quarter on every metric. But he did give you a modest forecast cut due to the rapidly strengthening dollar since his last forecast. Now, in a more positive environment, Salesforce would have been given the benefit of the doubt. Company's got a tremendous track record. We own this one for the Chapel Trust. And I told club members not to miss the forest for the trees. It was a fantastic quarter. No one cared. The stock got crushed. I felt like a clown. Uh, today, though, the stock's come roaring back up almost 10 bucks, and I'm starting to look a lot smarter. Then there are the groups that, that have been folded, spindled, and mutilated, tattered groups like payments. Payments was a once-love sector because it has little risk and is all about payment processing. Think MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, or American Express. Periodically, a group like this one gets into a real funk, usually because there's some interloper threatening their lucrative fiefdoms, and this time it's an outfit called a firm. It's upending the credit card industry with its buy-now-pay-later platform. The idea that these huge companies could be felled by a relatively little $32 billion outfit like a firm seems ridiculous to me, even as I like it. But when the market's full of negative sentiment, it's easy for investors to believe the worst. How bad did things get? Well, let's take the most cogent example. We had Dan Schulman, the CEO of PayPal, on the show two days ago. He told us an amazingly positive tale about Black Friday sales, not to mention his own buy now, pay later business, which is bigger than a firm. Possibilities for his huge digital wallet technology. You got the modernization Venmo coming. And I thought, wow. But the market said, ugh. This, the thing is, PayPal stock had already plunged from 310 to 180. Maybe it was an ugly at 250, but at 180, not so much. Stock jumped 4%. Nice. Final sentiment indicator. How about ridicule? Ridicule. Yeah. 
Um, when you own a stock and it goes down, 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 you're subject to ridicule, or at least I'm subject to ridicule. Might not be universal experience, but I take the hit so you don't have to. Speaking of ridicule, I felt like I was getting beaten up every single day for holding Boeing for the charitable trust. Waiting what for? For the Chinese government to grant approval for the 737 MAX to go back in the sky. China finally came through this morning between, say, I think it was like between, say, 545 and 645. And bingo! Stock flew from 188 to 202. It's not done. Now, when the market's overbought and you get that kind of move, uh, normally you would sell some Boeing. But when the market's oversold as it is now, uh-uh. I think tomorrow people buy it. I think you get upgrades, you get re-advised, you get target price boosts. That's what happens. Don't forget, Honeywell and General Electric have both been laid low by Boeing's pariah status. They've got a lot of hardware in these planes. Both stocks can rise on this Chinese news, even if it doesn't immediately translate into orders. Sentiment's a fickle beast, people. After a terrific day like today, some people will jump to sell stocks because they feel like they've gotten lucky. What you need to consider is that there are many others who are waiting for the shelling to stop so they can go over the top and start buying. And that's where we are right now. Now we had a big disappointment tonight in numbers from DocuSign. But you know what? It may not matter because now that's viewed as a pandemic play. And the pandemic, oh, we're we're avoiding it for now. Bottom line, hold tight. Higher prices could be in the cards for the down and out stocks that have suddenly and incredibly, despite the Omicron backdrop, been given a new lease on life. David in New York. David. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, David. First time caller, lifelong fan. Excellent. So I've had my eye on starting a long-term position with a rideshare company, most notably Uber. Uber continues to expand its reach with food services, cannabis ordering in Canada, and now a new him and hers delivery partnership. Both Uber and Lyft stocks have been pretty beat up over the last month with COVID variant talks. Is now the time to get in one of these, or is the space still too volatile? I thought about this all day because someone came out with a, I don't know, some huge price target for Uber. Uh, I think Uber did get too cheap, but it's at 38. It's up two bucks today. It does matter. I think go to 45. Uh, that's a trader stock, though. Uber is a trader stock and no more right now. Steve in Minnesota. Steve. Hey, Jim, it's Steve from Bloomington, Minnesota. Excellent. I'm calling about 5-9. You had the CEO on the show a few weeks ago, and I thought it sounded intriguing. But since I bought a few shares as a starter, it's taken a big plunge. Should I keep holding or should I buy some more? I would keep holding. I, I mean, 5-9, five, five, look, these stocks, it really wouldn't matter what, which one you bought. These were all trading as a cohort. It got hammered. The company did much better than expected. You're going to get a, probably another really, really good quarter. Now, longer term, we have to check about that technology. But right now, for the next year, I think you're fine. Michael in California. Michael. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. Wanted to first thank you for providing good advice during the past two years while uh, I've been at home. You're and welcome. you've been conducting some awesome interviews with some of the top CEOs as I continue to get my MBA. Thank you, man. Hey, thank you. And your young person getting an MBA, I got to salute you. Thank you. Thank you. So you have helped me become a better investor. So I have a question for you, Jim. As of yesterday, AMC had a pullback of 15%, while Cinemark had a 2% decline. Yet volumes for AMC are significantly lower than similar larger directional moves that occurred in June or July. At the same time, AMC, per the press release, has had the biggest biggest day of ticket sales for a single title since reopening and the second biggest of all time with Spider-Man No Way Home. My question, Jim, is due to yesterday's drawdown of AMC's price crossing the 200 moving average, it would appear to me that this would be a good buying opportunity based on technical 
and fundamentals for the month of December. Well, the fundamentals are uh, they're fine. The technicals are not good. There were people who uh, were unhappy to see insider selling. There's a a cult or a cohort of people who own AMC and they're horrified that the stock's going down. They will continue to buy it all the way down if they have to in order to keep the bulls in the air. That's what they do. It's not what I do. It's what they do. Uh, Adam Aaron's done a very good job of keeping the bulls in the air with him. All right. Higher prices could be in the cards for the down and out stocks that have suddenly been given a new lease on life because of the suspension of negativity. For now, on the money tonight, CrowdStrike bounced today after reporting a top and bottom line beef in the third quarter. And I'm seeing if the company can continue to defend itself from the bears with the CPO. Then all birds recently hit the public market and has since been trampled on by Wall Street. I'm trying the newly listed stock one for size to see what you should make of all that selling. And Signet has soared this year, but after pulling back today, are investors getting a buying opportunity in the jewelry kingpin? I've got the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The last few weeks, they've been devastating for high-flying tech stocks, which have fallen out of style in what we call the Wall Street fashion show, at least for the moment. But these rotations rarely last forever, and they often give you a chance to buy quality merchandise at incredibly low prices, like this very morning. You take CrowdStrike. That's the cloud-native cybersecurity play. 
Three weeks ago, the stock was at 298, new all-time high. But thanks to this newfound fears of inflation, which makes growth stocks less attractive, and of course, a more hawkish Fed chief, CrowdStrike stock fell to 201 yesterday. It's down almost 100 points. CrowdStrike did nothing wrong. In fact, the company reported last night, turns out business is booming. Delivered a tremendous sales and earnings beat. Management raised the full year forecast substantially. In response, the stock nearly uh, jumped nearly 4%. I think CrowdStrike would have been rallied a lot harder in a better environment. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with George Kurtz. In the, he's the co-founder and the CEO of CrowdStrike. Get a better read in the quarter while comes next. Mr. Kurtz, welcome back to Mid Money. Thank you, Jim. George, I just got a copy of Fortune. CrowdStrike ranked number one on 2021 Fortune Future 50 list. Can you please tell us what that means both for our shareholders and customers? Well, I think it really points to the uh, future growth and opportunity and uh, the performance that we put up as a public company. Um, And when you think about the the space that we're in, uh, you think about uh, the environment and how important it is to protect customers it's no surprise that we're number one in that, and we've really focused on execution and protecting our customers. And uh, I think it's great recognition for us and certainly for all of our crowd strikers. Now, uh, can this also have to do with some, a couple things that are in your comms school? You're very good at explaining why you're good, but the net retention level, going over for only about 10 seconds in the comms school, I think an amazing statistics. Maybe you can explain to people what that means. Well, a big part of our model is being able to cross-sell into our customer base. We've got 21 modules that are in our product portfolio on our platform, Falcon. And uh, a big part of our success is being able to get into a customer with a few of the modules and then be able to cross-sell into those. And, you know, we've got 66% of our customers have four more modules. But essentially what we've talked about is achieving greater than 120%. We give out the full year numbers at the end of the year, which means that we're selling a lot of new subscription modules into our customer base. At the same time, uh, you actually point out point blank, you are taking big business from Microsoft, which a lot of people feel is an all-powerful company, and Symantec, I mean, Hoctan, very competitive guy, bought Symantec. You're saying you're winning, they are, you call them legacy vendors, uh, and that they also have been hit with massive ransomware attacks. When you go into these guys, I mean, to p- customers who have these two, do you say, listen, that's got to go if you want to be safe? Well, I think they tell us it has to go in many cases. Um, a lot of the breaches that we respond to have legacy technology in place like Microsoft and, and Symantec. And they're just not capable of keeping up with the advanced threats that are in the current environment, which is why we've pioneered uh, artificial intelligence uh, protection and detection on the endpoint. Uh, we've got one of the largest data modes. We collect a trillion different signals or events uh, per day, and we use all that vast information uh, to create protection for our customers and drive these AI algorithms. And it's really the community immunity, the crowd and the crowd strike, which continues to make our, our, our technology smarter as we add more customers. Now, you want a contract that I have to believe is a bragging rights contract that, every, that when you go into anybody, they're going to be interested that you've got it. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, I did not even know much about this organization, literally had to Google it. It turns out it's, a, it's the marquee our key part of our federal government. How did you get that? Well, we got it because uh, I think we've got the best technology in the, in the market and we partnered, I think, well with the U.S. government. Uh, obviously, it's very competitive, as you might imagine, uh, to win an opportunity like that. Uh, this came out of the executive order, and I think the, you know, the current administration is doing a great job focusing on security with CISA. And we're proud uh, that we were selected. It's a massive opportunity, one of the largest wins in company history, and really we're just getting started. 
Okay, now we're concerned about the competitive environment. Now you watch the show. I didn't know, and I stay close to you and some others in the industry. We've talked a lot about Palo Alto. They offer a on-prem, and they also offer cloud. Uh, when you go up against an outfit like that, and companies do have on-prem and cloud, how do you make a proposition that wins? It's very easy. Our technology, our agents, actually run on-prem or in the cloud. Doesn't really matter. It could be a public cloud, a private cloud, a uh, uh, you know data center. Our agent runs there. The, the, the management control framework runs in the cloud, which is a real advantage, cloud native. We can iterate our technology so quick. We can provide protection, update our algorithms seamlessly. And it really then not only drives better protection for our customers, more efficiencies, lowers the cost, but it also allows us to iterate very quickly and react to these uh, threats as they uh, come out in the environment. So it's a real advantage actually to be cloud native. All right. Well, one last thing on BTIG, which is a good, good report. Gray Powell wrote not that long ago. He said that over the last few weeks, we spoke with nine contacts in the security space uh, and CrowdStrike and broader trends in the uh, endpoint security market. For the first time since covering the stock, we picked up a notable change in the competitive environment, saying that basically you're bumping up against a lot of others. Do you think that analyst is looking, let's say, with a too small prism? And Jim, it's always been competitive. I mean, there's no secret it's a competitive environment, but we're winning. And we're winning because the technology works. We're replacing uh, technologies that failed to scale. Uh, after two months, we talked about it in the earnings report, we replaced uh, a next-gen competitor because it failed to work. Uh, and two months into their 24-month contract. So you have to have a platform. You have to go beyond buzzwords and architecture. And I think our numbers speak for themselves. And we're really excited about the quarter. And we're really excited about the future for CrowdStrike. You should be. And also congratulations on this great honor, because I think that when people are trying to figure out what stocks to buy, they want to look at something like a fortune list and see you at the top. George Kurtz, thank you, CEO of CrowdStrike. Great to see you again, sir. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, buddy, back after the break. Coming up, this company's got soul. But is this shoe stock street ready? Kramer spreads his wings on the heels of an IPO that's got investors in knots. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Well, the market came roaring back today. There's a whole class of stocks that are still very much languishing. The formerly red-hot IPOs that came public earlier this year immediately soared to sky-high valuations. Lately, this group has been obliterated, often with good reason. So tonight, I want to talk to you about what's wrong with so many members of the class of 2021. I'm going to use a representative example. A company you may like. I got the shoes. I like them. 
It's called Allbirds, and the ticker here is B-I-R-D. That's the lifestyle brand best known for making shoes from naturally derived materials, although they also do apparel. When Allbirds came public a month ago, Wall Street lapped it up. A well-known consumer brand with a fast-growing and sustainability angle. Come on, isn't that great? It had all the ingredients to generate hype. The Allbirds deal price of $15 immediately spiked, jumping to $32 and change, foreclosing the first day at just under $29. Nearly a double right out of the gate. But there's a reason I didn't highlight this one right before or after it came public. It's a simple reason. It's too expensive. Sure enough, Allbirds peaked on that first day, and since then the stock has been cut in half, literally cut in half. It now is just over a dollar over the IPO price. In other words, anybody who bought it in the open market, well, so could now, at this price, be it worth considering. Before I dive into the details, you need to know that there's nothing particularly wrong with the company Allbirds. It's not like they screwed up big time and brought this decline on themselves. It's that the stock simply never should have gone so high in the first place. And that's hardly unique to one company. We've seen this pattern over and over with the IPOs for the class of 2021. Just a series of great companies with lousy stocks. Think Traeger, oh, I love that grill. Or, or Clear Secure, I use that. That's a security solutions company you see at all the airports. Get right through the line. The problem in each case that investors bid these stocks up to ridiculous levels, not because they like the fundamentals of the company, but because they liked the product. Or to put it another way, your fans of the merchandise set you up to fail. As for Allbirds, there was a price where this thing would have been enticing, but you never got that price. This is a very popular footwear company. Their most iconic product, the Wool Runner, which is made from sustainably sourced wool and carbon-negative chemicals, was dubbed the world's most comfortable shoe by none other than Time magazine. There are a lot of consumers who want something environmentally friendly, and many investors feel the same way. I do it with Williams-Sonoma. They're very environmentally friendly. One of the reasons why I like their product so much. But when Allbirds came public a month ago, the financials, they looked pretty darn good. Not great, but very good. From 2018 to 2020, the company saw its sales grow from $126 million to $219 million, which translates into a terrific 32% compound annual growth rate. Over the same period, the gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, jumped from 46.9 to 51.4. And while the company is indeed losing money, that's because they're spending heavily in order to expand. We like that, too. And that includes a big digital business and even some retail stores. They have 33 now. However, like I said, the numbers were good, but they weren't spectacular. Allbirds has seen its revenue growth decelerate. In the first six months of 2021, they grew at 26.7%. At the same time, while the margins have expanded, their losses have also expanded, which is not ideal. On top of that, they had negative cash flow from operations in the first half. I don't like that at all. Put it all together, and it's kind of nuts. The stock was almost double on its first day of trading. And that was after the book runners had raised the price range and increased the numbers of shares in the deal. Investors had just such a voracious appetite for the stock of Allbirds on that first day, but their appetite vanished within 24 hours. It sure didn't help when Wall Street started fretting about inflation last week and all the richly valued growth stocks just got hammered. But the worst was yet to come. See, on Tuesday night, Allbirds reported its first quarter as a publicly traded company. Well, I thought the numbers were pretty much par for the course. Wall Street was clearly disappointed. The stock plunged 16.5% yesterday in response. Now, it's not that the quarter was bad. It's not even like it should have been surprising. Allbirds actually gave you preliminary third quarter results in their own IPO prospectus. And the numbers they reported this week were basically in line with management's predictions, even better in some places. We're talking about 33% revenue growth, rising gross margins, secure supply chain, 
So what did go wrong? Some of it has to do with some oddities of Wall Street. For instance, the share count. The earnings report used the pre-IPO share count because the quarter ended in September. However, many of the analysts used the post-IPO share count, which includes nearly triple the amount of shares to make the consensus estimates. The result was a loss per share that appeared to be much larger than expected, even though actually the opposite was true. Unfortunately, because we live in a world where robots write the headlines, and I mean that, by the way, artificial intelligence, you saw a lot of stories about how Allbirds reported weaker-than-expected earnings. More importantly, though, I think investors, they were frankly underwhelmed by the guidance. Remember, that's the future, and we care about money, and all the professionals care about the future, the guidance. Again, it wasn't really bad, but it also wasn't great. And that's a wake-up call for those who bought the stock because they love the shoes. When Allbirds gave you their full-year forecast, it was a tiny bit better than expected. However, the forecast for 2022 was a tiny bit worse than expected. In the scheme of things, the numbers were basically in line. But if you were hoping for a blowout, as so many people were, because it's a brand-new company, you did not get it. Which brings me to the real problem with Allbirds and its fellow travelers. There were way too many people hoping for a blowout, had to figure that it, there was no way they wouldn't do a blowout, or else they wouldn't come public now. At its first day peak, Allbirds was valued at $4.7 billion, which is incredibly expensive for an unprofitable footwear company with a growth rate in the 20 to 30 percent range. Even when the stock had pulled back to $19 and change earlier this week, it was valued at $2.8 billion, roughly eight times next year's sales estimates, not earnings, but sales. And that's a lot for a company that makes shoes. Allbirds is not some cloud software company with a turbocharged growth rate. There's no snowflake here. Now, at this point, the stock has fallen to around 16. It's now valued at 6.6 times next year's sales. Is that cheap enough to make things interesting? Man, I don't know. I mean, SIG is just a little bit more expensive than that, and that's times earnings. This is a consumer product company, and I really prefer to value these on a typical earnings basis. But Allbirds has no earnings, and we don't have a sense of when it will turn profitable. If you really want a piece uh, of this one, you know what? Hey, how about 12 bucks? That's what it would sell at, at, at five times sales. It's still difficult, but at least easier to justify. But again, there's been a ton of this kind of overheated IPO market. Jessica Alpha is the honest company. Came public in May. I warned you away from it at 19. Told you to wait for a deep pullback. It's at 8. Then there's Dutch Bros. And when it was at 53, I said you should wait for it to sink below 40, even as I love their coffee. Stock then soared to 81 earlier this month, making me look bad. But since then, the stock's collapsed. It's now at 47, down 10% from what it was trading when I said you should wait for a pullback. And I think it can go lower because it's just still overvalued versus traditional merchandise. Think Starbucks. I could go on and on with these. But the bottom line, this has been the biggest year for IPOs in history. And many of these stocks exploded to ridiculous levels right out of the gate, setting their investors up for failure. And that's what happened to all birds. I think it could go lower before it finds a bottom but I still like my shoes. Mike in Georgia, Mike. Hey, Jim, roll up those sleeves, buddy. I need some help. Jimmy Chill is here to help. Upstart. I mean, uh, before the quarter announced, they had a blowout quarter, and it dropped 60%. What's going on? Okay, so I was discussing it with Jeff Marks, who's from my uh, the Brain Trust that is, runs the uh, Chapel Trust uh, Invest- Investing Club, and I also with Ben Stoto, who's research director of Man Money. We were both just shocked that this thing could go down so much. But then again, look where it came from. I think Upstart's terrific, but it got too overheated. It's not DocuSign, which now has lost a lot of its mojo. Upstart can come back. My my idea, Mike, is actually to buy some. But remember, people are locking in profits, and Upstart. A lot of people have a very big profit. That's your enemy. Justin in North Carolina. Justin. Hey, Jim. I'm calling about Nerd Wallet. I like the app. What do you think about the stock? Okay, boy, I'm glad you phrased it just right. I like the app. What about the stock? 
no dice. Here's the problem. We, are, we have a lot of companies. I was actually trying to think about whether to put Nerd Wallet in when I was thinking about, well, what stocks were too hot versus the products that everybody loves. I should have. Nerd Wallet, penalty box, 15-minute major. Don't even know if they have those. How about Ross in Illinois? Ross. Hey, Jim. Big fan. Appreciate your input on uh, Global Foundries, their new Ford relationship, recent financials. It seems like they have a willingness to go after the lower end of the market if there is, if there is a less sophisticated end of that market, chip manufacturers. Tom, Tom Caulfield, who's a man of the pre-people, may I add, is trying to satisfy everybody, and I think he can. He has got the full features. He's taught me to speak of those. Those are the ones, say, that auto companies are using. And he's got high performance. I think he's doing a remarkable job. I think Global Foundries, which has formerly not been that good a business, as he even admits, is a great business. And I think there's going to be multiple years. Tom Caulfield's a winner. I like that company. Now, Allbirds, the stock or the company or the shoes. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the shoes. And those are great. Now I'm going to talk about the stock. That's not so great. Could go lower. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Signet Jewelers. Now, there's a good example. That sells at a very low multiple towards earnings, not sales. After pulling back today, is it time to propose a plan to add to your portfolio? Remember, every kiss begins with favor. I'm talking to CEO. Then we're armed with the tools to help beat the scourge that is COVID-19. What's stopping us? I'll reveal. And order calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lighting round. So stay with Kramer. Sometimes a stock, a stock that we like, will sell off for no good reason whatsoever. So the shareholder base missed the memo that the market's feeling a little less down, you know, a little downbeat. Look, take signatures, okay, SIG, which you might recognize as parent company of Jared Sales, K Jewelers, among many others. Here's a stock that's been one of the best stories that we have ever identified, and we've identified since the bottom in March of last year. Seeing it's gone from a turnaround story to a true omnichannel powerhouse. But in the last couple of weeks, the stock's been slammed, first because of the pin action for the not-so-hot retailers like Nordstrom and Gap, then because the Omicron variant has got investors freaking out about any chain that's relying on some wall traffic. This morning, though, Signet reported what I thought was a terrific beat and raise, yet the stock got thrown into the meat grinder, tumbling 5%. To me, this is a name. Signet earned $1.43 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $0.72. Cents. Same store sales, $18.9. Wall Street won $11.6. Fourth quarter of guidance, magnificent. Best of all, the stock still trades at less than nine times earnings. Absurdly cheap versus less to retail. So let's talk with Jenna Drosos. Jenna is the turnaround artist CEO of Signet Jewelers. To learn more about the quarter, Jenna, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much. Jenna, when people see a stock down four, they tend to think that something's wrong. Let's go right to it. How was Black Friday? We had a great Black Friday and Cyber Monday weekend, Jim. We saw momentum continue. Uh, We had a very strong October, um, which we talked about in our earnings call today. Saw that continue into November. Uh, The Signet team is ready for holiday. We're stocked and staffed. We have great new uh, capabilities for customers. Buy online, pick up in store, same-day delivery. Great assortments that are performing very well. Balance sheet, how's it look? Oh, it's very strong. I think that's a good story at Signet. A, a great working capital story. We've been working on the um, 
the health of our inventory over the last several years now. Our clearance is down significantly. Our inventory turn is up 50%. It's really an exciting um, story there. And it's giving us the liquidity that we need to invest to continue to grow. We announced that we had advertising up 50% last quarter as an example. And we continue to add new digital features to help customers have the experience that they want online. Are you still doing a lot of uh, NFL football? You've been doing other ways to be able to get a hold of people. Our marketing program is much broader than that now, but we are proud that Kay is the Hall of Fame sponsor for the NFL, and definitely consumers will see us on TV, uh, hopefully on that Georgia Bulldogs game this Saturday. Um, but we, we, uh, we definitely are doing a much broader range of marketing now. It's much more database, more personalized. We're targeting bridal shoppers with bridal messages, gifting shoppers at the right time. So I think our data and analytics capability is really coming along and paying off for us. You're going to get a lot of commercials in that Georgia game because you're the best defense I've ever seen of general went to Georgia, <laughs> and there'll be a lot of punting by the other guys. There's two things I want to talk about because you have really made, led a major change. One thing that happened before you got there was that you had your company had the reputation for maybe the worst workplace for women, okay? So workplace. The other thing is, is that you had a giant credit department that was actually running the company. Now you've exited credit, and you just got again an award for a great place for women to work. How were you able to turn this around in such a fast period of time? I think it's been a true team effort across our company, Jim. Uh, we are very proud to, but for the second year in a row, be a great place to work certified company. As you know, that's something that the employees vote on. And we've been listening to feedback for the last number of years now, making improvements in our culture, we made a lot of improvements this year in our compensation for employees, raising our hourly wage, adding new benefits, uh, offering holiday surpluses for our team members who are working so hard around the clock this time of year. So I'm very proud of the efforts that we've had in our employee experience, making Sigma a place where people can come and stay. I, I know it's a big story in retail right now, the turnover and attrition that people are seeing, but we're seeing the opposite. We're actually down 60% and our attrition among new employees in our field team. Well, that's a so that great story. Is, I know I want to congratulate the team, but obviously you've led a great uh, pathway to brilliance here. Now, another thing that I, fi- I find very intriguing was that you seemed to know that people were going to shop early and you had the inventory that was necessary. And it turns out they did shop earlier than we thought this year. That's right. So we've been using our consumer insight and trend predictions to guide how we plan our assortment. Um, We predicted months ago that customers would be in the market earlier, and we turned up the dial in our marketing support. We got the right product to the right stores, and we serve customers very well in brick and mortar. Uh, Brick and mortar traffic was up considerably versus a year ago, though still down to two years ago. And in e-com, we lapped um, almost a doubling of our e-com business last third quarter with 14% growth. So very strong on that front as well. Okay, uh, last thing. You always come on right about now and tell us what is hot, what are people giving, what are the uh, great Christmas gifts. I know you always have a, a great design artist and brand name. What's selling very well right now? 
We do. We're seeing uh, pretty broad scale strength right now. Diamond fashion jewelry is trending for women and for men. Uh, That's a very interesting new trend, men buying for themselves, but also their partners buying for them. And then we're seeing gold jewelry do very well also among men and women. Some of the new lines that are particularly hot in bridal are Monique Lillier and Patina Panina Tournay that we launched last year. Vera Wang has been very strong. Neil Lane. So we have a a very good broad-scale strength in bridal. And then in fashion, the new Serena Williams line is continuing to do very well. So we're excited about that one for this holiday season. Also, a lot of us want to thank you. You are... uh your advertising is the best ESG kind of advertising. I've always felt that you treat men and women of all races, colors, creeds equally. I wish others did the same thing in their advertising. Thanks so much for that, Jim. It's really important to us to show all kinds of relationships, all kinds of love. That's something that we celebrate. It's, it's really the purpose of our company to inspire love. So it's very important to us. And, and beyond that, I, you know, if you go to our website, you'll see how strongly we feel about corporate citizenship and sustainability. We have our own net zero goals. We're part of the U.N. Sustainability Compact. I mean, we really take it very seriously. No, it's terrific what you do. Congratulations once again. It's a great quarter. There's going to be profit taken periodically after the run that you've had. Jen Adrosos, thank you so much for coming back on Man Money. Thank you, Jim. This has been a, a turnaround on every single level. It is so impressive. Symbol SIG, getting a chance to buy it at eight times earnings. That seems too cheap to be Man Money back in the Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, time the lightning round clears. Let's start with Minal in Georgia. Minal. Hey, hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. What uh, do you got? My question is, yeah, my question is, you have guided me through mad money for the past decade in investment strategies. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. I want a suggestion regarding Veer Biotechnology. The ticker is B-I-R. Yeah, Dr. George Skangos. Boy, I met him many, many years ago up in Boston. He works in that. Co- he runs that company, and I've got to tell you, he is partnered with GlaxoSmithKline. I spent a lot of time talking with GlaxoSmithKline. They may have something that could be very, very good against against Omicron. Uh, it's very early, very early, but I like it. I think you should own the stock. Clark in Florida. Clark. Hey, Jim. How are you today? I am good. How about you, Clark? Good. Fantastic. Hey, listen, I just wanted to call and get your uh, feelings or opinion on Enbridge, E-N-B. Right, that C-N-B. stock has just been in a house of pain. However, it does yield 7%. That's Al Monaco. They've got a great long-term business. I don't understand why it's going down other than being brought down by the fact that oil suddenly went from 80 to 70 to 64 by Enbridge. Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, thanks for taking my call. I got a semiconductor stock for you. Bank of America just upped their price target from 70 to 75. It currently trades in the low 60s. The ticker symbol is ON. The name of the company is ON Semiconductor. I don't 
We have had Hussein Al-Khoury on multiple times. I think he's a genius. He put together Cypress for this. He's got the best automobile chips. He's got Internet of Things. That stock is a buy to me. George in Florida. George. How are you, Jim? Down in Boca Raton. Oh, excellent. Hey, what's going on with AT&T, Jim? I had a grandmother, Nana Mary. And she always said, if you didn't have anything, if you had nothing good to say about someone, then don't say it. Susan in New York. Susan. Yes. You're up. Okay. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, my question for you today is Robin Hood. Oh, no, no, no. Um, you know, I had a grandmother. No. Um, here's the problem with Robin Hood. They've got the wrong customer base. They have a great app. But remember when I had that young person come on and said, why am I using Robin Hood? Because I'm tired of Candy Crush. There's got to be more to it than that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, hot. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Kramer, you are super, you are awesome. I'm a first time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Hey, look, maybe it's because I'm from Philadelphia and I love a good fight, but I'm not going to let up on this vaccination issue. Not now, not ever. There's something very good happening here. And if we could only go zero tolerance on COVID, I think we could finally beat this thing. First, don't forget that we're on the cusp of producing what we needed from the start, antiviral drugs and an antibody formulation announced today from GlaxoSmithKline that could perhaps one day blunt the Omicron variant. The antivirals, they could be a real godsend. Pfizer's doing everything you can to manufacture enough of this stuff to reduce the risk of hospitalization or death by 89%. The clinical trial data on this thing is incredible, yet the feckless FDA still hasn't ruled on Pfizer's drug. Even as it recently proved one for Merck that looks like less than half as effective, two weeks ago, Pfizer applied for an emergency use authorization. Federal government's buying 10 million pills, $5 billion, in an effort to transform the way we treat this disease. Let's put them to work as soon as possible. Pfizer won, government zero. At the same time, we know from statistics out of Johns Hopkins that so far no one in that medical powerhouse facility who's gotten COVID, despite being vaccinated, has died from it, despite being vaccinated. That's why you got to get shots. When you take these two details, you get a scenario where if only everyone were triple vaccinated, it is now, of course, obvious that the original efficacy was overstated. We can pretty much take the threat of death off the table and potentially keep millions out of a hospital. That's very good when you see 90,000 Delta cases a day in this country, the most in the world, and we'll soon have many more with Omicron, especially after the news today that a case was detected in Minnesota from a gentleman who had just traveled to New York City for an anime convention. Yeah, anime. I went to the site. Okay. If that sounds too good to be true, it's only because we can't get our act together as a country. The massive resistance, yeah, massive resistance to getting vaccinated has become a huge problem. 
Anyone who won't get their shots is a potential breeding ground for new, more dangerous strains of the virus, particularly those who are compromised with immunity. At the same time, the at-home test situation in this country is intolerable and idiotic. Our government is spending fortunes to buy nearly everything that could stop the pandemic, but we're not giving at-home tests away for free. Instead, Abbott Labs is marketing the best one on its own. If you go to the U.K., the national health system gives these tests away for free. Here we can find these tests for as low as $14 per box. I've got tons of them. Though The government will reimburse you if you are covered by Medicare. But while Abbott's been singled out for price gouging, Abbott makes this great product, Binax Now. I think that's ridiculous. 14 bucks isn't too expensive. Just ridiculous that the government won't subsidize something that could be so useful. Buy them all and give them to people. So if you won't take the vaccine and the government isn't making it easy to get tested at home, that means you're far more likely to get sick and die from the same disease that barely does any damage to someone who's gotten the shots. These scientific breakthroughs mean nothing if you have leaders hiding behind, ridiculously, the First or Tenth Amendments to assert your right not to get vaccinated. As I heard some politicians say this morning on Squawk Box, the First Amendment is about freedom of speech. Nothing to do with vaccines there which has the government uh, has been forcing people to get for over a century. Tenth Amendment, that reserves unenumerated rights to the states. But again, th- there have been va- federal vaccine requirements before, whether we're taking smallpox or, smallpox or polio. I wish President Biden would take more of a stand on this issue. But the FDA and the CDC are so wishy-washy, if not foolish, that I'm sure it doesn't inspire much confidence. The Omicron strain may be the break we needed a form of the virus that's both milder and more contagious, allowing it to replace the Delta variant as the dominant strain. Unfortunately, right now, it's just going to be used as one more excuse not to get vaccinated. Sadly, we can stop this whole thing in its tracks if the White House ever decides to get really serious. But our leaders lack the political will to do so. As long as we keep coddling the anti-vaxxers, COVID will linger, and that's the last thing we want in our great country. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. News with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.